I'm Sasha Sagan, and this is Strange Customs. There is one tradition that every one of the creatures experiences. It's older than their species itself. Only about half of the creatures can perform this ritual, but they all go through it. It can be very difficult for the ones performing it. It takes a long time. It's dangerous. It can make them very sick. They change in all kinds of ways, temporary and permanent, both in terms of their physical structure and their internal perceptions. At the end, there is a very dramatic, usually painful event. But they often derive enormous pleasure from it, too. The ones experiencing it don't really remember it, but not because it's not important. It's really the most important custom to them, because it's how every one of them arrives at existence. They come out into the world from inside the physical structure of another member of their species. Well, I'm just so excited because we're going to talk about something that we've both experienced twice. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Something we've both yes. experienced twice. Today, my guest is actor Troyan Belsario. And um, it sort of calls out for ritual in a way that few other things do. Yeah. Tell me about the portal, the transformative portal <laughs> of giving birth. I was giving my, I have two girls and I was giving them a bath last night and I was looking at them knowing I was going to be speaking to you and just thinking about how absolutely wild it is that like, these are two human beings that did not exist before me and my husband met and decided to right. <laughs> procreate and yeah. now they're in the world and now they are going to have their own experience of the world. Now there's this like personality and this life form that yeah. is going to, I don't know what they're going to do in their lives or where they're going to go. And that is totally bizarre to me that that happens. Oh my God. My mother always would say to my brother and I, like well yeah. into our like teens and twenties and beyond would say like, you don't understand you didn't exist. And then we made you and now you're here. And we would be kind of like, yeah, mom, that's like how this works, you know? Yeah. But now that I am a mom, it is so astonishing. I remember the first moment either one of my daughters were put on my chest. And I remember seeing them still formed by the womb, essentially, just being outside yeah. of it, but still in the shape yeah. of a womb and wanting to be that, you know, small, curled up in a dark room, quiet. And now, like you said, yeah, they, they go off to school and they speak and they have ideas that you've never considered before. And you're like, okay, that doesn't track. Yeah. I remember you as this. And that sort of makes sense yeah. coming out of my body. But now you are this other thing that I never could have really wrapped my head around. It is truly, truly a trip. So there's two kinds of rituals around this, as I yes. see it. It's like there are rituals around getting the baby out safely. And then yes. there are these other rituals that are about, like, welcoming the baby. How do you feel about them? What did you love? What did you wish you had when you had your daughters? I had a doula. She told me about, like, the three different types of women 
as she experienced them giving birth. And there was like, she said one was like the dolphin. They want a whole pod of people around them and they want the noise and they want the chatter and they want the group support as they go into childbirth. And then there's like the elephant. They want their partner and maybe like one other person. And it's a very like, you know, the couple is very much together and that's it. But they want like kind of quiet and solitude. And she was like, and then there's the woman that's the cat. And the cat doesn't want to be around anyone. And uh. she sort of burrows in the dark and doesn't want her, wants her partner at a distance, maybe wants the doctor at a distance or, you know, the doula at a distance. And she wants to have her own space to go through. And I was thinking about that sort of like, as who are we as animals going into yeah. birth? And I don't know, does any of that like resonate with you? I wanted my husband who was there, mm-hmm. who was wonderful. And like, just like every medical professional in like the yes. tri-state area, like I just wanted like a million doctors and nurses with my first child. It was complicated. It was long and there were a lot of um, unexpected twists and turns. And I did feel very grateful and very aware of how lucky I was to have really good medical care and how yeah. recent that is and how unevenly distributed uh, that is in the world for most of history, and it is for many people. It's dangerous. Yes. When people were like, what is your birth plan? I was like, my birth plan is that she's fine and I live. Yes. Like, I, I did not have like, okay, and then the crescendo of this like sonata must be at the moment <laughs> this that she's playlist, through the birth canal. These candles. Like, right. Yes. <laughs> right. And so we're like, so we need a c-section and they were like it's up to you our values in the hospital are life of the mother life of the baby vaginal birth we were like i don't mind having a i was a c-section i have i am not of woman born for all you you shakespeare fans (laughs) anybody who just casually likes a reference to Macbeth. i just wanted her to be yeah okay and she was and it was great and and we had a c-section And then my son, who was born a year ago, I had, I'm just going to overshare on my podcast, I had two giant uterine fibroids removed about Mm -hmm. a year and a half after my daughter was born. And they were like, you've had a lot of abdominal surgery in the last couple of years. Do you want to try for a VBAC? And I was like, no, I think I'm okay. okay. And so I had my son with a scheduled C-section and... Um, it was like having a mole removed. It was amazing. It was like going in for an appointment. But there is a little tiny part of me that sometimes thinks, did I give birth? Wow. If you have your children surgically removed, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't. But like, did I give birth? Did I give birth? Right. I have two beautiful children that were born from my body, but did I give birth? This is why I always really appreciate it when people talk about like natural birth. And I'm like, so what do you mean? Do you mean vaginally? Do you mean unmedicated? Like what is natural? Right. 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 Sure. Like not a lot of us are having natural birth anymore unless you like wander out I suppose into the woods and crouch down in a, in, you know in a river and you're like all right I'm doing it right yeah <laughs> but like 
what it what does that mean and why do we value it so much yeah if you decide that those words give birth do not apply to you and i don't agree with that because i do think that giving birth i don't think birth necessarily has to be just through your vagina i think a, you growing a baby and a baby coming out of you is birthing but why do we have feelings around that why do we yeah. as women have feelings about like oh i i had to get the epidural or oh i you know i was i was laboring and then we we did a c-section or like i had to get a c-section like why do we view it as yeah. And, yeah. and i'm on i'm on that spectrum too because with my first daughter it was boy was it taking a real long time and she was yeah it was really painful and my my doctor is you know i love him so much he's he's actually gone now he's, he's passed but he told me he was like you're not relaxing into these contractions and at that point i'd been laboring having really intense contractions for like 12 hours and he was like you are you're going to exhaust yourself before you even get to the pushing yeah like you and and, and yeah. if you you know go through like muscular fatigue and you pass out on me like you're not gonna be awake for this childbirth like i yeah. I, I might have to put you under and it might be c-section i don't know if you're gonna be like cognizant <laughs> of it and so but I, but i had this real stigma that was only for me about mm. getting the epidural like that i wasn't doing it like naturally enough and i remember a, a nurse was like you don't get a cookie for like not getting an epidural at the end of this it's like you go home with the baby either <laughs> way like <laughs> So what did you do? Oh my gosh. Yes. So I, I ended up getting an epidural and I, uh, and then it took her 12 more hours to come. So I was really grateful that I had the epidural because I got oh a little God. bit of like, not actual sleep, but like I got to lay down and close my eyes because yeah. I was really, yeah. really tired. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but it was also so interesting speaking about like ceremony and, and sort of like mental places because when I when it was taking 12 hours and my doctor came back in and my doctor was like, okay, now you're not progressing. So, you know, cause I was like joking and I was like, oh, you know, alert. And I was yeah. like having a yeah. ball and he was like, okay, but I also need you to like be here to have your baby. And so like yeah. maybe yeah. like wrap up the joking <laughs> routine and, and like concentrate. Yes. And I had to do a like real meditation while I was, you know, uh, medicated to like really reconnect with the parts of the yeah. labor I could feel and be like, okay, so th this is obviously not as strong as it felt 12 hours ago before I had an epidural. How do I connect to that pressure and like help my body guide her down so that we can get yeah. her out? And then my second baby who I, it was a totally different thing because she was born in four hours and we didn't make it to the hospital. She was born in the car. So she she is actually what you call a natural birth. She was born in the wild in a parking lot. And yes, in, the, was, among, uh, in nature. She was born in, in nature. <laughs> parking lot in an automobile. Oh my God. Absolutely a Did totally you? different experience. Did you, were you like, I have so many questions. Were 
like, oh, it's starting, I have time, and then all of a sudden you didn't? Or like, what, how did it... Yeah. What happened? Oh, help. What happened? My my husband <laughs> came home the night before from a job, like out of town. And it was, you know, our first daughter was a week late. She was, she yeah. did 27 hours of labor, an hour and a half of pushing. Like it was just so slow that then when he landed and like, you know, he landed and came into at home at like midnight. And then How many it, weeks were you? I was five days shy of my, of giving birth. Okay. So it was like, it was a, it was definitely cutting it close, but I was also like, my first daughter was like a week late. Like I don't give birth early. Like this yeah. isn't, you know? Um, yeah. And so he made it home. And then the four hours later, I was like, mm, and I started feeling like I was having contractions. Now, again, I told him, I was like, yo, have a breakfast burrito, chill. Like, we do not need to leave because you know how long this takes. Like, you know we're going to be in the hospital and we're going to be exhausted for another day. And so I, like, really took my time. I was playing with my daughter, like, in between contractions, of course. And then we got in the car and it was a a very, actually, like, funny. We didn't even have a birth plan this time, you know, because we were like, I don't I don't know what we're doing. Um, It's five days too early. And we, you know, I was just like, I don't know. Like, I think it would be cool if like you caught her or if I got to like pull her out. I heard stories of like a couple of my friends who like the doctor was like, hey, reach down and like pull your baby up to you. (gasps) So I was like, that would be cool. I'd love that. Or like if you delivered her. So anyways, he sort of like laughed at me and indulged me kindly and uh, was like, let's just see what happens when we get there. And then I was fine. I was having intense contractions and they were very, very close together. And then we got to the parking lot. He pushed the ticket and I just flipped over and immediately like went nonverbal and started going through the process of, I don't I didn't know what was happening at the time, but I did recognize that when he parked the car at the valet stand and he got out and was like, call the doctor, call the doctor, that I was like, oh, she's, this is what it feels like to give birth. I remember this. And I remember just being like, <gasps> like, you need to, you know, I was, I was on all fours in the passenger seat and I was like, you, you need to like pull down my pants. She's coming out. Or I didn't know who, if it was a boy or a girl at that time. So I was like, the baby's coming out. Um, and then, oh my yeah. God. So there was no time and he ended up catching her and everything was fine, thankfully, uh, because we were then at the hospital. <laughs> so it was very easy for us to go up yes. to the room yes. um, with our baby. But yeah, so so it was very different. It's kind of like you had a home birth at the hospital. I did. I did very much have a home birth at a hospital. It was totally unplanned, but great in that way. Oh, my goodness. That's astonishing. <laughs> I wow, I can just tell that story is going so deep into my subconscious already. Like I just like that will be with me for the rest of my life. That image. Wow. Yeah, it is an absolute trip. Definitely the craziest thing that's ever ever happened to me in my life or his life. Um so far our baby's life, but maybe she'll have crazier experiences. Yeah. (laughs) It's still early days. But um the prehistoric way I imagine was you were working with a midwife or some woman who had 
a lot of experience bringing children into this world and you were surrounded by the female members of your family. Um, probably there was maybe some other ceremony, depending on where you were for the men, where they would like take the man away. You know what I mean? And, and it was sort of like, this is what the women did together. Um, and then somehow that got moved from like midwives and female and like community support into the sort of like medical realm primarily of like the masculine, right? Like kind of controlling this is, and both of my children were delivered by men. Men are wonderful. Like I said, one of them was a doctor. One of them wasn't my husband by circumstance. Um, <laughs> they were amazing. I love them both. But but like there is something to be said about the, the ceremony around birth, around labor and the days after being removed from the world of the feminine and moved into the world of the masculine, right? Where it was like anesthetized and sort of controlled in certain elements of like, this is when you can give birth and this is the position, you know, like even the idea of a woman laying on her back to give birth is so, it's so not the position, you know, and, and I can also say like, when I, when I went into birth in the car, my first bodily, I wasn't even conscious of it. My, I flipped over onto all fours that I couldn't have told you. Yeah. There was not a voice in my head that was like, this is better for you or anything. It was animal for me right. to just go like into that position. When you're in a hospital, generally what has been taught is like you labor on your back because that is what's easier for the doctor who's delivering the baby, not the mother who's birthing the baby. Um, right, right. And so I, I, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about like, you know, you having C-sections, there is a, there, there is a necessary like healing process, right? That you have to do. Yeah. And I think so many cultures around the world have these, you know, in the, in the Chinese culture, that's like 40 days afterwards, or I was reading about in South America and Latin America, they have like something called like, like I'm going to butcher this because I don't speak Spanish, like, but like La Quarantina, which is essentially like called the quarantine, Yeah, which is like a yeah. month where it's like the mother and the baby don't leave the house. She is attended to, bathed, wrapped, uh, same thing with the baby, you know, they're, they're both treated as like as people who went through something and aren't ready to be yeah. put back out, spit back out into the world. Um, yeah. I yeah. Know. Yeah. What was that like for you? You know, cause you had major so abdominal first, surgery. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I mean, like that is like a whole other thing, but it's funny because I, in the hospital I was at, which I loved and had a very good experience, all the doctors who came in over the two day period, the Everyone, all the nurses, they were all women. The only man was the anesthesiologist. I mean, almost all of them were like, you know, on the younger side for doctors. And once we decided, once I decided that we were going to have a C-section and I was like, I had a question and she said, well, the way I'm going to stitch you up. And we were like, you're the surgeon. You're, I mean, so our own wow. stereotypes and like yeah. internalized sexism on my part. But I was like, you're the surgeon. Like you're so beautiful. <laughs> And I mean, that's that's fucked up by me. Like, of course, it's like the old thing of like, I can't operate on this child. He's my son. How can this be yes, if the father yes. is killed in the car accident? Right. Like, oh, this conundrum. So I felt actually quite surrounded by women. Amazing. And then in terms of the recovery, I mean, I loved I loved being this is so I mean, I know this is from such a position of privilege of like I was in such a great hospital, but 
I loved having to stay four days mm-hmm. um, after my daughter was born and having like all the nurses were also lactation experts. Yes. And so like I couldn't imagine with my first child, like leaving before the milk had come in and not being sure if I was nursing properly, yeah. if she was getting milk. So I loved staying in the hospital. And then I was really lucky also that I I had a long time before I had to really do anything else. And, you know, my mom came to help me. My mother-in-law came, you know, at one point, like, I got to do a quarantine. You know, I got to be home for a long time. But what is the right way to navigate this balance from a time when people gave birth and it was a near-death experience Mm -hmm. and often a fatal experience for both the person being born and the person giving birth. Yeah. How do we get away from that part, but still hold on to the sense of sacredness and beauty and yeah. community and, and honoring this unbelievable portal for both parties? How do we do that, you know, without going back to a time when it was really dangerous? I am like a total fangirl of birth workers and and I yeah. mean primarily like like um midwives and doulas because I think like it all just has to come down to the woman and like you were saying like you you enjoyed being in the hospital for those days following because of the support you got like with the lactation consultants and with the nurse and i felt the same way with my you know when i was in the hospital and like i remember like even my husband being like okay like how many nights like i'm going crazy i want to get home and i was like (laughs) i don't because like these women are teaching me things yeah i feel like it needs to be in the hands of women and of birth workers there's a danger in giving birth to the mother and to the child it is not a small thing something that's also really interesting is like uh, women having the support of like a one-to-one you know a a, a birth worker to mm. them instead of like being in a, in a situation that is understaffed Oh my God, yes. That's why like in a lot of third world countries, there's a higher maternal risk and a higher risk of infant death or or harm because there's not enough birth workers. There's also a higher mortality rate in America for Black mothers. Yeah. The only way that that's being shifted is by, you know, there being more support for Black birth workers and Black doulas and Black midwives and so those women have the support that they need and they deserve. So like to go back to your original yeah. question, like what do we do? How do we balance this? It's just got to be all up to the woman to make the choice for herself. So aside from the things that we do that are just to get the baby into the world. Yeah, get out. Like what? Are, yeah, get out. <laughs> right? Like what besides those things, if you could invent a ritual, a tradition for a new baby and their family. If you had total druthers, what is life like for a new baby and their family in the weeks, days and weeks after? Oh my God. Paid maternity and paternity leave. And <laughs> but like, yes. I, like I was reading about um, in Finland where they have like a really, really high rate of like maternal health and infant yeah, success in life. Like there's this government kit 
that is given to every family. Yes. I can picture it. Yes. I've yeah, seen it. Yeah. It's a kit that's this box that is like diapers, formula, food, all of the things that you would need to have a newborn, blankets, and it all comes in a in a box that actually like is is made to be a crib if you don't have like a bassinet. Yeah. But I think that sort of value of a human life and, and the value really of the family. It's not just about like a baby being born. It's about a family, maybe it's a single parent, maybe you know, but like that is a massive fork in the road of their life's path. And to not be afforded a a paid paternity leave or a paid maternity leave or paid childcare or like, you know, government support, to me, that would be the biggest ritual to add on because it would be like a country or a a government's recognition of the change that a person is about to undergo by welcoming a new person into their life. Yeah. There are a number of uh, cultures, you know, you you give birth and then a baby's there, but babies aren't actually, you know, there's this idea of like the fourth trimester where you are, the baby actually needs to get out of the mother's body because the head is going to grow too big to move through. Right. Um, I forget who told it to me. They were talking about it, like feeling like, like Batman, like on the motorcycle, like sliding sideways underneath the closing garage door like indiana jones rolling under because it's like that the oh my babies god yes are not ready to go out really but they have to get out otherwise they'll be too big for the mom or the birthing parent to push out but then they there's still time where they're not ready really to be outside the body they still yeah. need to be you know, swaddled or contained or protected because, you know, it takes a year for their skull to close. And I was reading that in in Balinese culture, which I think is primarily Hindu, like it's not until like 210 days later that you are supposed to put the child's feet on the earth because they're considered like a demigod. They're considered still heavenly. Mm. and not of human form they're like they're in our realm but they're not yet human and it's not until they're 210 days old that they do this ceremony they touch their feet down on the earth and they're like okay now you are you've arrived like your soul has arrived you are here you are a person wow and you know, I know yeah. in a lot of cultures, like people don't yeah. want to say the name until the child is born, yeah. um, you know, or you're not supposed to. And, you know, or do, like there, there are, you know, other cultures where it's like you're the, I think in some, I think I was reading like in Africa or something, like there are certain days, like nine or seven days, depending on if it's a boy or a girl, mm. where the mother and the child aren't supposed to bathe. And then they are bathed separately by either a grandmother or something. And that's supposed to be like the the final like separation that they are still mm. literally like you know, biologically just like on each other um, because they're not quite separated yet. I don't know. What's what's your feeling around a culture, like a, a ceremony that you would want as a part of birth? 
I wrote about this, and I really love this idea of planting trees. Yeah. Like, as this, I mean, it's quite literal. It's a little on the nose, frankly, but it's like, you know, because it's so much what it's like. But, like, I love this idea. And, like, we didn't, we lived in an apartment when our daughter was born. There was, like, nowhere to plant trees. And when our son was born. But, like, I loved this idea um instead we donated to like a service that plants the plants trees all over the world um but like i love that idea um and that i don't know there's something about that that's so beautiful and like so literal i had a baby shower with my daughter I think there's different rituals for a firstborn child than there are for later child because there is something mm-hmm. about preparing someone who is not a parent to become a parent that is different than like just all the beauty and wonder of a new person in the world. But like a family who does not have a baby and has never had a yeah. baby getting a baby is like a big change. Did you have a, a baby shower for your son too? No. I loved the baby shower that we had for my daughter and it was amazing so many of my girlfriends came and my mom's friends and my friends moms and um it was so special and mm. one of the things that we did was we had a set of plain blank wooden blocks and we had these markers that you could write on wood and everybody like decorated these blocks for my daughter. And she, I mean, she was literally playing with them. She's five and a half now. And she was literally playing with them an hour ago. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's something about that feeling. And they say things on them like, we love you. And like, you know, just like these little messages and like these ideas, you know, just things that are say like, you know... M is for magic or what you know just yes. like very but like you know these and it's so special to me yeah. all this time later and it feels like this little echo of a world that we once had as a species maybe we'll have again someday where not only do you come together for those moments mm. um you know for a party and like you know a birthday maybe but that a world where that is part of your Every day is all that love and support from all these wise people and all these people who love you just feels like this like echo of that feeling of being surrounded by all the people who have some wisdom about the birthing. Totally. I had a baby shower, which was thrown for me, and it was absolutely wonderful for my daughter. Um, And we didn't have a baby shower for our second child I think I agree yeah. with you it was also a little bit of the what's going to happen you know there were I I had more experience from uh my first time in a baby shower of of great loss um between my friends you know of of a child and it became very real that it was like mm. oh none of this is guaranteed and that is a, mm. a baby shower is a beautiful ceremony that is sort of flying in the face of pragmatism and flying in the face of Mm -hmm. the reality that like of course there is there's loss and there is potential for for great tragedy but to have a baby shower is to say I believe this child is coming and I want to honor you the thing that I I love about it too is it's not a baby shower but it really is a way to honor the mother you know, mm-hmm. and, and the parents, like I was 
very adamant. My husband needs to come halfway through and actually it's a party for the both of us because we're both becoming parents. I don't yeah. want, but one of the best parts of the baby showers before he came, the women sat around in a circle and we, they, I don't even remember. They, they told maybe something, it was a story like that they, they, something that they hoped for me with this child. Um, oh. And we, I, I did the same thing for my best friend during her baby shower where we hand dyed this string and I had her sit in the middle and I, I said, you know, we're going to, we're going to sort of popcorn style, like throw this string to somebody and they're going to have to give a hope for you with this child or a piece of wisdom or whatever. And I want you to throw mm. it. And we made this circle around her where we threw the string across so that it made this massive web around her. <gasps> and we like, and then at the end I was like, okay, now everybody like pulled tight the web and it all like sort of like pulled around her and I was like, this is your, this is your web of support. Like these are the, the oh. tethers and the strings of that like might be invisible once we let go of this string, but like they're there for you. And then we all, we all made the string into bracelets that we wore until her child was born. Oh my God. And it was so special and like, we gave the string afterwards, you know, to her to like, you know, to make something for him or it was, it was a very special ceremony. I think like you said, it's, is really important that we do these things. Did you invent that? That's amazing. I've oh, never heard of that before with the string. I think I did invent that. I mean, I think I had like... Oh, she did it where she asked people to bring a special stone. And then in the end, they actually put it all in this like leather pouch that I wore around my neck when I gave birth to my child. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really, and to feel that weight and to feel like each one of the stones was with me and that each one of the stones was a woman in my life. And so I wanted to do not the same thing for her, but something similar. So I came up with the idea of the string and the web. For me, I think like the best rituals and traditions are the ones that are like, I don't know, I can't even describe it, but the ones that feel like this physical incarnation mm -hmm. of this philosophical or emotional thing. And it's like the, I, the poetic is the only way I can really describe it. But there's something about that. It's just gorgeous. That is so beautiful. My next guest is Dr. Randy Hutter Epstein, who is a writer, a professor at Columbia and Yale, and a medical doctor. There's a tradition of not really caring about women's pain. I think if men or boys had to hold an eight pound human in their bodies for almost a year and then had to get it out through a hole that wasn't as big as the thing that's in you. I think Adam would have had like some really, really wonderful pain relief available. But, you know, women have been giving birth for a long time. And basically, it was kind of this feeling of 
well, if you can't withstand the pain of childbirth, how are you going to raise these kids and deal with all the other stuff? So it was kind of like this hazing process for women. We didn't really start to think about um, easing the pain for centuries. We thought about how to make better children. You know, there were all these guides, drink red wine, have some you know, rabbit testes mixed with whatever, drink these herbs, think pretty thoughts and you'll have pretty children. Don't think angry thoughts. It's going to mess up what's going on inside you. So we had a lot of, um, a lot of advice about how to make sure you delivered a perfect child, but the essence was on the child, not the women experiencing this this amazing, miraculous, wonderful thing called pregnancy and childbirth. There must have been some cultures, some places, sometimes when there was sort of like, you know, all the knowledge of all the people who had given birth before coming together to sort of usher the woman through. And maybe there was like a useful herb. I did a lot of research looking into ancient guidebooks, a lot of them, mm. you know, translated. I relied on historians that had translated a lot of these guidebooks that go way back. Women helped women give birth. Your mother was there, your friends were there, and I think they were a really calming force. You were often sitting on a stool that had a hole in it, so gravity could help the baby come out. Mm. And you were and which we a lot of women today are trying to get back to that in terms yeah. of if they squat and let the baby come out, sort of open things up more rather than in these weird lying on your back, which is really easier for the doctor, harder for the woman. So, I, you know, they're not drugs. And these guidebooks didn't really mention pain relief so much. But the essence of having women caring for you, and not just like, oop, the baby's out, see you later, which yeah. is kind of what we do in the hospital now. It was a month before, a month after. Yeah. Um, you were surrounded by caring women. Now, obviously, you weren't going back to work because your job was to make babies and help your friends make babies and raise these kids. When the men came in to help with childbirth, even in the, up until like the 1700s, it was considered kind of obscene for them to see a naked woman and to see the baby being born. So what they did was they covered the woman, like picture a woman under a tent and then they would slip their hands <gasps> under and somehow get this baby out. I mean, they might as well have been blindfolded. Wow. So picture this. You're a medical student in the 1800s and you go to watch a child being born. So you're watching some other man shove his hands under a tent. And then at a certain point, maybe three months later, they're like, OK, now it's your turn. So those were the experts. Those were the experts that were coming in to help. What are the factors that come into play that makes this shift towards hospital birth happen? So in 1900, only 5% of women in America gave birth in hospitals. By 1930, about half of women, but mainly the ones in the cities. So 75% right. of women 
cities were in hospitals and 25% if you lived in rural areas. By 1960, so that's from 1900 to 1960, you know, not, I mean, it's long, but it's not that long. Nearly everyone is in the hospital. So I think that a few things were going on. One is there was a tremendous amount of exciting research into hormones, into how our bodies work in the early years of the 1900s. And so that started to make medicine more of a science. And if we understand all this, then shouldn't we be the ones delivering babies? Shouldn't this be more of a medical thing versus a natural kind of thing that you're unlicensed or untrained midwife. So it became sort of this turf battle with doctors, mostly males, seeing it as a science that they had to control, potentially diseased, versus the midwives who, you know, they had this experience, but yet they didn't have what was considered sort of the licensing or considered the prestige and doctors building up their prestige in obstetrics. You asked before about pain relief in ancient times, but interesting, it was in 1847 that a dentist first used ether, you know, they were, which makes sense on, you know, to take away the pain and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's wife who lived near the Mass General at Harvard, where the dentist- I had both my children at Mass General. Yes, I know it well. (laughs) There's a room called the Ether Dome, and that commemorates where this dentist first used ether. So the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's second wife was like, I want whatever those dentistry (laughs) patients have. I'll have what they're having. (laughs) I'll have what they're having. So she went around and said to her OBGYN, you know, get what that dentist used and you know, these, he was absolutely no way I'm not doing that. So she kept asking all these OBGYNs and they, and they all said no. So she finally got a dentist to come in when she was ready to deliver. And she smoked a pipe of ether and her midwife was there. So she had a midwife for the baby, a dentist for the drugs. Six years later, Queen Victoria then gave birth using ether. And that put like the stamp of approval of you're not a weak woman asking for pain relief. It wasn't always safe. So doctors were rightly so nervous. So when these women were taking ether, were they out for the birth? Yeah, they were kind of knocked out. And it was, you know, remember, we weren't, they weren't measuring it. Oftentimes, you're just sniffing it until you felt kind of woozy, kind of like that woozy. They weren't like knocked out, knocked out the way we started to do in a little bit in the 1910s and 20s, but really in the 1940s and 50s when we had more powerful drugs that really knocked you out. And I find it fascinating that whether women want pain relief or don't has a lot to do with doctor-patient relationships. Mm, Tell me more. Okay. So I was hoping you'd say that. So, (laughs) (laughs) So... In 1914, this woman, Charlotte Carmody, went to Germany to give birth in the mountains. And obviously, she could afford to do that. And she left her other kids with the babysitter at home. And she went off into this clinic. And according to her, what she wrote about was that she went to sleep 
and woke up with this beautiful baby in her arms. And it was pain free. Because in those days, even though I told you about the 1847 ether, there was still this feeling of this isn't right. And yeah, all for all Queen Victoria's stuff, it still wasn't really in the culture that you should be knocked out and the drugs weren't known. But Charlotte Carmody, who was sort of in this very fashionable set, goes off to Germany, gives birth, writes about it. And she said it was these German doctors that came up with a thing that they called Dommerschlacht. I think that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) In English, it's twilight sleep. So twilight sleep became pretty fashionable for a time and there was articles written about um we don't you know we deserve to be pain free we deserve to be able to sleep through this experience you know so it's very interesting and and i think that if you think about what was going on in general with women in the first three decades you know talking about the 1920s and activists for the right to vote and flappers bobbing your hair short smoking cigarettes Smushing down your breasts. Exactly. They were also angry at doctors telling them, mostly male doctors, you don't need pain relief. This is how you're going to give birth. So this was a real pushback to say, we deserve to have pain-free childbirth. We deserve to forget about it. And so women were saying, this was so wonderful. I don't remember a thing about giving Mm. birth. Women who did give birth that way and you had to be able to afford it, there were clinics then set up in New York, a lot of them paid for by wealthy women who paid doctors to do this. Um, They had parades that like held their babies and like, this is my healthy baby from Twilight Sleep. They set up a Twilight Sleep Association. This is all women doing this and pushing doctors. But here's what wasn't known at first. So... Twilight Sleep was a cocktail of scopolamine and morphine. And these are two drugs that induce analgesia and amnesia, but not anesthesia. So to put it in other words, you were kind of forgetting about this, but you weren't completely numbed from the pain. In order for you to deliver a baby under twilight sleep. Women were basically put in a straitjacket and they were put yeah. in what looks like large cribs that had all this padding around because if you thrashed, some women had like knocked a tooth or, you know, hurt themselves because they were so kind of out of it. They didn't yeah. realize they were knocking about. They didn't remember any of this. So by the time the baby's born, they take off the straitjacket and they, I guess, put the rails of this crib down. So you're now in a normal bed again and you, you're handed your baby. This stuff didn't come out for a while. So what was in the media was we deserve pain. You know, we deserve to forget about this. We deserve to go to sleep and wake up and our babies are born. But all the doctors and nurses knew that they were freaking out and it wasn't pain free. So they would just wake up and no one would mention that they had like nearly like knocked over a nurse. 
No, the doctors that did it didn't, but a lot of doctors were against it. And there were doctors coming out. You know, I scoured the newspapers and you'd find, you know, Dr. So-and-so, you know, at whatever lofty institution is worried about this method. And people are like, oh, typical, because they were so angry at the doctors yeah. then, you know, no matter what they said, their voices were sort of damped down. If a doctor said this might be dangerous, it was like, well, you're just saying that because you want us to go to you because you right. don't think we deserve. It was a lot of you don't think we deserve this method of treatment. So we're not listening to you. Most doctors were not proponents. Well, it's like the pendulum has to swing and you have all this time where it's this very painful process and then there's a solution it's almost like it, you know in order to get to the middle we have to go all the way in the other direction when there's a huge change in society and it's like so do you feel like we are now like moving towards the middle between these extremes well i think you're so right about this pendulum going back and forth so you know in the 50s most women were knocked out. Then we had more drugs and then it was safe. And then generally, and doctors were knocking women out. They didn't want to deal with you yapping away or chatting or giving your two cents. They didn't want that at all. So they knocked you out and that was standard. And then of course, then we had the rise of Lamaze, which was the pendulum then going back and saying, we deserve to be awake. It's healthier for the child. This is natural. And, but I think now um, maybe I'm being really optimistic about this, but I do think, first of all, there's many more female doctors yes. and that have gone through the experience. It helps have someone that have gone through the experience yes. and know and empathize. I think yes. they're listening to women more. I think that in general, women really do have choices. But I think um, we each feel pressured so I think there are some women that feel their own pressure to be able to say, I did this without drugs. And we're all like, whoa, good for you. As if you should get like one of those things they give out after you do a 5K, you know, like you want like a little medal. Um, and I don't think we should do that to women. Why do we do that? Why do we have this idea of like these very narrow ways to be a mother? I think part of it comes from this wonderful desire to do the best for our children. Yeah. I really do. So I do think that, you know, if they had said to me, you have to like stand on your head every day during pregnancy to make sure your kids are healthy. And I have four kids. I would have done that if they yeah. had said like, wake up at four in the morning and, you know, I don't know, have a glass of milk or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure you would have done it too. Yeah. We've been doing this for thousands of years, and there's a lot of good humans that have come out of this process. So so for the most part, we're doing things right. I'll never get over that that's how all these people arrive. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. Oh, I never fail to appreciate that. I mean, we were inside another human. And again, talking about all the pressure on women historically, historically, it was thought that the men had the seed. So they had like the entire little human in them oh, and course. they would shove it into the woman and then we were just like soil that just the dirt planted in us we were the dirt we were the dirt <laughs> like an empty vessel with some dirt in it and anything that we did was considered you know going to affect this baby somehow but again speaking of the pendulum there was a while when we're like okay any thought is going to affect the baby anything we eat is going to affect the baby and then in the 1950s, there was this notion of 
placental barrier. So, which it still is a barrier to some things, but there was this notion that go ahead, have your gin and tonic, smoke cigarettes, because the good old placenta is going to only let healthy things in and keep the toxins away, because that's the way the human body works. And then we found out that's not quite the case. Um, You do have to think about what goes through the placenta. Yes. Can we talk like about how over time, like what the biggest advancements have been to take the experience of giving birth out of the equation, but just getting through it alive. Like what have we, what are the biggest things we can do and have done to make it a happy ending? If we go back to like when our country first became a country, in those days, the statistics are four in every 100 women die during childbirth. And when I was looking up recent ones, they talk about 23 of every 100,000, which is still 23 women too many. But so we're talking 4,000 women for every 100,000 in the 1700s versus 23. So that's 4,000 down to 23 per 100,000. So that's a huge advance. Um, I would say what's made the most difference, doctors washing their hands. But even today, if you're an African-American woman, you are three times as likely to die in childbirth versus a white woman. So we're doing something wrong here. Yeah. Um, I, but a lot of this is things that are easy fixes. We need to figure out how to get all women the primary basic health care that they need and to listen to them when they might yes. be saying, I'm feeling a little headachy. I'm, yeah. I'm starting to feel bloated. These can be signs that of a toxic pregnancy, a dangerous toxic pregnancy. So a lot of this isn't, isn't highfalutin fancy stuff. It's listening and looking and observing and caring about women who are carrying children, carrying our next generation. Oh, my God. It's I mean... It's heartbreaking. Just the idea of valuing the experience of the person who is living it. What would you say to someone who's getting ready to deliver their first child? What What would you say about this custom, this way of, of ushering someone into existence? What should someone know? One of the best pieces of advice I was given from my doctor when my first son was born in London, he was like, go ahead and make a plan if you want. But I don't care how many children you've already had. Each birth is different. And you may not know. You may not want to stick to your plan. I happened to be in a hospital then in England that had a huge, wonderful bathtub next to the bed. Mm. And he was like, you want to go in there and give birth in there? Fine. You want to crawl on all fours? You want to squat? You want to do a headstand? The baby will come out. If it helps you to have a plan, that's wonderful. But oftentimes... It can set you up for disappointment if you plan not to use any pain meds and then you really are in pain and you want something and a doctor's offering it to you and you kind of feel that wasn't in my plan and it's in the thick of the moment. So I think, yeah, have a plan, but leave yourself a lot of wiggle room to to change because you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. The other thing I think it's important to know and, and a nurse slash midwife said this to me, your body can do this. Like, 
It sounds so silly and simple, but honestly, I went to medical school. When my first son was born, I was clueless. No one got up in medical school and was like, this is what it's going to feel like. And this is what you're going to do. So I was clueless. I knew how the baby, you know, I knew gestational development. I had to memorize that, but I didn't really know what it feels like to have something come out of your vagina like that. No (laughs) one described that. So when my first son was born, honestly, I remember thinking, I'm going to break in half. Like, this is not work. This is not going to happen. And that made me so tense. For my fourth, the nurse said, our bodies are made to do this. They, they expand to let a baby out. And I think that helped me a lot. So I think that's what I would tell women. Our bodies can do it. We're amazing. We are so amazing. As long as I live, I'll never get over it. Every single one of us grew inside another human and somehow got out into the world. I feel so lucky that I've been able to grow two little people inside my body. I always wanted to. It seems so strange to describe it that way, even though that's what it is. Even though I have known this fact about human reproduction for as long as I can remember, I remain astonished. When I was pregnant with my first child, I would write letters to her in a little notebook. Three days before she was born, I wrote this. I am standing at the portal into motherhood, and when I come out the other side, I'll see you. You are standing at the portal into life, and when you come out, you'll see me. Meet you there. The first thing my father ever said to me was, Welcome to the planet Earth. And more than three decades later, it's the first thing I said to each of my own children. A kind of new ritual, just two generations old. There's something about the arrival of a new person that calls out for special customs, ways to mark the occasion. The rituals we invent are kinds of portals too. We are one way, and when we go through them, we are changed. Birth and the traditions and customs around it somehow seem to perfectly foreshadow so much of the pain and joy of being alive on Earth. Something to think about next time You get to help welcome a newborn into this strange and wonderful world. Thank you so much to my wonderful guests today, Troy and Belisario, who is an actor and writer and a mom, and Randy Hutter Epstein, also a mom, and professor at Columbia and Yale, and author of, among other things, Get Me Out, A History of Childbirth from the Garden of Eden to the Sperm Bank. Join me next time when my guest will be astrophysicist Serafina Elbadri Nance, who is author of the upcoming book Starstruck. Science is one way that we try to make sense of how small we are, but there are other ways equally beautiful and important and astonishing. If you're enjoying Strange Customs and you feel like you might have a couple minutes to rate or review or subscribe, um, we'd be forever grateful. Thank you. Our theme music is by Evgeny Klemenko. 
Additional music in this episode by Spear Fisher and Blue Dot Sessions. My producer is Dale McGowan. Strange Customs is a production of Only Sky Media. Visit us online at onlysky.media slash strangecustoms. Tune in next time for more Strange Customs.